we're in such an incredible, incredible uh, place here at Utah and just love the alignment of everything we have going. And, and so I'm not going to pursue that, that position. That's University of Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. We asked him, would he pursue the Arizona Athletic Director job? That and a whole bunch more about the future of college athletics, the college football playoff expansion, and Utah's transition to the Big 12. All of it is part of an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. We have a very different episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. We've got a special guest, Mark Harlan, the athletic director at University of Utah, will be joining us. But John Wilner is joining us live via satellite. Wilner, you're going to be on a phone line because what in the heck is happening in the Bay Area right now? What's going on? Yeah, you know what? We got bad weather the way you guys have gotten bad weather lately. We got hit with the giant storm, uh, atmospheric river, I think they call it, over the weekend. Uh, the Bay Area was hit really hard on Sunday. I think Southern California is getting the brunt of it now. Uh, but, yeah, we're without power uh, at my uh, my house. Our whole area is without power. At yesterday afternoon, I think there were a million people in the Bay Area without power. It's now down to about 250,000. So I'm live in my car in a nearby parking lot, hoping that my cell service holds up here because uh, this, I mean, this should be a great episode. You know, Harlan is uh, as clued in as anybody about going, what's going on these days, especially with college football. He was just on the selection committee and, you know, he's an Arizona graduate, uh, worked at UCLA, been in Utah for number of years so we should have a great discussion here yeah we got to talk about how utah's navigating the transition to the big 12 uh, what is life like as an athletic director in 2024 sec and the big 10 partnering together it looks like to try to figure out what's going on with college football are they grabbing control of it what's happening there we'll ask harlan all of that but let me ask you before we start with harlan what is the biggest inconvenience of having the power out for you and your household Let's see. Uh, I think the rest of my family would answer differently. Uh, For me, it got pretty cold. I'm cold, often cold in normal conditions, but uh, it was pretty frigid last night. I think the rest of my family might say the cold showers. I don't mind a cold shower. I just don't like being cold minute after minute for 24 hours what are you using to keep warm like or do you have a gas fireplace do you uh do you, what do we you have do not no we got almost nothing to help us keep warm all right uh, well we boiled some uh we boiled some water on the stove the gas stove uh last night uh but uh yeah it was tough and also i don't like not having my coffee in the morning so i had to make an early early run to a starbucks to get some caffeine I'll tell you, when we lost, we lost power for like three days during that ice storm a couple years ago, yeah. and I found out pretty quickly how wimpy I am. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, within about 30 hours, I was eyeing local hotels 
and and then uh, online on my phone looking for a generator and you know doing all those things that I now am more prepared for. But um, I'm hoping you get that power back today, man. Maybe today we'll see. Uh, there's in in my uh, in San Jose. There's I think seventy five thousand people without power now. Uh, I don't know where we are on the priority list, but uh, fingers fingers crossed that we have it at least uh, by tonight. All right, we're excited to talk to Mark Harlan. If you want to read my work, you can read it at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription or a paid subscription. If you want to read John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, you can read him at pac12hotline.com. Um, before we get into Harlan, like you know, what do we like? We've talked a little bit about why we have him on, but what what are we both hoping to learn here? The main thing I'd like to learn is what he views. Like he's been on the select, he's on the playoff selection committee. He's also been uh, on on the NCAA's football oversight committee, which really kind of runs the sport, the, the details of the sport, the rules. Uh, I would. I'm very curious to hear what he has to say about what he thinks the future of college football is. Uh, you know, are we headed to a super league? Uh, does he think the current model is sustainable? What is he? How does he view the threat level from all these lawsuits against the NCAA? Uh, you know, and and he's going to view it from. He's got you know multiple layers of perspective on this because he's served on these key national committees, but he's also the guy's a he's a Pac-10 guy. He went to Arizona, uh, so he's going to view it from both the lens of what's happened out west coast and also I think from 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 the national perspective. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to kind of what it was like when Oregon, Washington are leaving, the, kind of the, the week or the days around that implosion of the conference. And, you know, people keep asking me, where is this headed? I, I'd like to know from his standpoint where all this is going to end up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without further ado, the athletic director at University of Utah, Mark Harlan, is joining us. Thanks for making time, Mark. Well, first of all, great to talk to you guys. Um, I, I listen to the podcast regularly. Appreciate you know everything that you guys do and covering all all the stuff both on on the field, courts, and, and off. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And boy, we got a ton to ask you about Utah related, Pac-12 related, college football related. Just a, a long list of topics here. First one, though, probably we should start with you know uh, Newsy situation where your alma mater, Arizona, uh, is looking for an athletic director. And uh, we certainly would be interested to know what your views are on that, whether whether you're a candidate, not a candidate, uh, how you're how you're taking a look at your alma mater. You know, Arizona is a place I went to school. It's a wonderful place. I worked there for, gosh, 17 years. Some of my best friends in the whole world uh, live in Tucson and, and, you know, met my wife there and, and all that. But we're in such an incredible, incredible uh, place here at Utah and just love the alignment of everything we have going. And and so I'm not going to pursue that that position. That being said, you know, it, it's a special place. Um, I'm, I'm very close with Brent Brennan and, and, and he's going to be a terrific coach. So I know they'll find somebody great uh, to lead them into this new frontier that we're all heading into in the Big 12. And it's a special place and they'll find somebody great. Mark, when I saw that opening, I thought about how different the job of an athletic director is in today's world versus maybe when you first got in the business. Can you help us understand, like, you know, where are you spending your time these days that you weren't spending your time otherwise? And 
How has the job changed? Well, you know, it's it, well, first of all, let's start with with the things that are the same. It's still an awesome, awesome job. I love the energy of working on a campus. I love being around here. We have about 600 student athletes representing so many sports, just getting after their life dreams, you know, in education and in the sport they're pursuing. And, and when I go to practice, it always grounds me in reminding of that because of everything that's swirling around, you still are blessed to be around. You know, these 17 to, to, you know, I guess right now with camera rising, what is he, 25, 17 to 25 year olds and, and, and watch them grow. And, and that hasn't that hasn't changed for me and, and the joy of it. Obviously, from what's different when you, when you come in the office every morning and the things that you're working on are certainly different. I mean, I do spend a lot of time with our collective leadership and, and talking to them and because and, I. I just want to make sure however that got put together we could surround our collective with great people and that's what we've done so i work a lot with them obviously with the you know with the conference changes all of all of that work that went into all of that and now of course the next phase of it the transition into the big 12. so there's a lot of different aspects uh, on a business side and a transition side uh, that are different and then lastly, you know, there is always crisis it, it, in this business. It comes in different forms and fashion. But, you know, now just with the NCAA and these massive changes that seemingly every time, you know, you, you, you're, you're not looking, you miss something, right? Look no further than last week, I jump on an airplane. And by the time I land, uh, you know, now the, the whole idea of recruiting with NIL could be back on the table, thanks to our friends in Tennessee. So, you know, it's always something different. But that's part of the challenge and, and part of the opportunity. Um, and that's why I still love it. Mark, could you kind of lay out for us how you all are, are navigating the Big 12 transition? Do you have a team of people dedicated to that? What are some of the, you know, the stickiest issues that you all need to work through along with the, the Big 12 conference office? Yeah, we have a great deal of, of folks working on it. You know, since the really, I would say two weeks after you know, we, we received the invitation and got the contracting done. We began a series of work in the department. I'd say probably 11 different working groups and various different working on various different aspects of the transition. Some are, uh, you know, logistical in nature. Some are scouting in nature, learning our competitors and 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 what they think and what they do and, and how do we slide and fit into all that. There's some campus uh, meetings that that begin, you know, there's always the academic side of, of merging these institutions together as well. And so I would say that as we talk today, I've probably been in person meetings about five times already. Um, I was uh, fortunate to be put on the subcommittee that helped develop the schedule that was recently released, which was very thoughtful of them to, to, to put one of the incoming members on that, obviously. And so it's been it's been a really good process. I think you know, this university, of course, I wasn't here, went through a transition 12 plus years ago, and there's still people here that went through that. We don't want to take this for granted. We knew we were going from a group of five to a power five at that time. And as Kyle Whittingham had said, it's like two different jobs. I, I wouldn't say it's it's that nature now, but it's still a lot of things we got to think through and work through. And I feel like, you know, as we get into February here, I feel like we're in a really good spot. You know, with the fall sports done, we openly talk about it. Um, we're, we're, you know, those sports are really working on it and all their travel and all those kind of things. But, you know, there has been a theme, which is we are in a historical year in this last year of the Pac-12 competing together. And we're defending seven championships in the league and 
and we want to have the the best year for our for our our students and our coaches and so we've been focused on on finishing as strong as we can but certainly a lot of work uh, as we move into the Big 12 next summer I think football I think Wilner and I agree we're both picking your football program to win the conference in the Big 12 and I think that won't surprise anybody who's listening that you know we've got respect for Kyle Whittingham what he's done the the other sports I'm interested in because you know there are other non-revenue generating sports that are going to be moving around, not just with you guys, but, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, the Washington and Oregon thing, going to the Big Ten. There's been a lot of talk about the expense of travel, the toll of travel. What are you seeing early as you guys study that in those working groups when it comes to those things? Yeah, I think what we've come to find out is, you know, in terms of the time for the students, we don't see much of a change you know, we'll have to go a, a full year to see if our calculations are right. You know, the proximity uh, with some outliers, of course, when you're talking about West Virginia and, and certainly Central Florida, there's going to be some outliers in this. But overall, you know, with where we are in the mountain here, we're really not too far. We have a, a natural travel partner in BYU. It's even more natural than what we had with Colorado. So for us, we don't see the strain as much as what others are really looking into. But again, that's what we're really going to keep an eye out. We know that you know, some of the destinations maybe don't have as many flights. So obviously we want to to make it as easy as we can to, to get our students there there and back. I give Commissioner Yormark and the Big 12 team a lot of credit. They've really kind of adopted some of the stuff in the Pac-12 that, we, that, that we've done very well, I think, uh, as they put together some schedules, you know, re- reimagining when volleyball should play and maybe matching up with what we've done in the past. Everyone's been very open-minded. Uh, to, to look at some things that have worked really well in our league and see if they work in the Big 12. So, you know, a lot of work ahead. But I would say overall, John, I, think it, I, I don't think it's going to be much more taxing than what we already have dealt with. Mark, does it, does it feel real to you that Utah is going to be in the Big 12 and that there's not going to be a, a Pac-12 as, as you have known it since you set foot on Arizona's campus? And just, or does it still seem a little bit surreal? I think it would be disingenuous to say it's not still surreal, you know, when uh, uh, like just recently, you know, we had we had the Washingtons here for basketball, you know, and that weekend's over and you, you think about that and, and well, that won't happen again that way. You know, you know, we're always going to look for non-conference opportunities with with all these West Coast schools. But the way that's that's it. I'd say, I think the moment for me, ironically, was. You know, I was blessed to be on the CFP committee this year and, you know, watching the Pac-12 championship game with my CFP colleagues on that Friday night and, you know, watching that time tick off. There was a moment there, you know, obviously Utah, we've been blessed to be in that game many years. So I, for many years, and I, and I know what it feels to be in that stadium and to watch it end. And, and, you know, that was a moment for me and, and it was even, you know, I think for other members of the committee, just kind of just going, wow, you know, this has happened. I think Vegas, you know, we got just an incredible tournament coming up here next month with the men and women in Vegas. I think when that one ends, I think that'll be quite a moment to, to take a deep breath. But, you know, going forward, the the, the excitement, um, you know, that we have, that we're blessed to have the opportunity to go into the Big 12. And I think, you know, a, a lot of that kind of surreal, you know, and maybe melancholy is kind of moved away and and much more excited about what's what's coming ahead because it's a great opportunity for utah to get in there and get after it in a lot of different ways and so we're really excited about it the you know the oregon state washington state conundrum obviously caused some bad feelings in those fan bases and 
some anxiety, I'm sure, that moving forward. Where do you see the future of college athletics? Because it feels like we're in a phase right now, not a destination. And, you know, I had a conversation with David Shaw, and he said he thought ultimately geography would win. And, you know, the Western schools will be in a conference, at least in a non-revenue sports, one day. And what do you think, Mark Harlan? Well, you know, um, I think anybody that gets asked that question, you know, um, and acts like they know they know exactly, you know, uh, is, is probably just making stuff up. I think I think on the on the concept that I've heard a lot in your podcast and I've given a lot of thought to, you know, the, these Olympic sports, let's call them, you know, having to, to, to go on these long distance. There's a lot of reasons why that, that doesn't make sense. And I don't think anybody with, you know, that's being honest on that would, would suggest otherwise. You know, we are in a system where we we are in conferences and, and that encompasses multiple teams. Here we have 20, our lacrosse team, of course, is, is not, they're in a different conference, but by and by, that's what you do. You know, the question is, will that mold break? And, you know, in one breath, I think it makes perfect sense. You know, let's let's get these Olympic sports back together. But on the other hand, as, we, as we're seeing, you know, more of the streamers come into the world and, and and you know the ESPN pluses of the world, they're looking for content. So I don't know how excited they would be to to you know to move on from from some sports. I mean gymnastics here, we sell fourteen thousand tickets. It always gets good ratings. You know would they just give that up to create a new thing? But I think it's worth conversations as we move forward. It just felt like this last cycle, with the way it all went out here and the way it's gone and and others, it just you, you couldn't get the time to talk about that. Maybe next cycle, that'll be a more robust uh, conversation because certainly it, it makes sense. Now, that being said, you know, a lot of our Olympic sports are excited about, you know, competing in some of these new cities and and, you know, they're they're ready to roll. But I understand, you know, that other places I'm going to fly as far as far there is probably not sustainable. But I think from that standpoint, I'd love to see that overall. Listen, I think we're going into a compensate compensation model. You know, I'm not sitting here going to use guardrails and everything like that. I just think a structure will be formed uh, either by ourselves or by these pending court cases. It feels like there's airplanes circling the cities and they're about ready to land. A lot of these court cases feel like that. So I think we're going to have some clarity on, um, you know, what we're able to do. Uh, you know, right now, you just try to operate your camp campus in the chaos and, and do the best that you can for your students and, and your coaches. But I do think in the next few years, there's going to be more structure around what's allowable. And, you know, that will be welcomed uh, when it happens. Mark, did you have any inkling that NCAA President Charlie Baker was going to propose what was a, a pretty radical uh, option for the subdivision for, you know, the big football schools that you buy in at basically 30000 per year per per athlete and you the ni would come in house did you, did you have an inkling that was coming and and what was your reaction when you heard it from him well i you know listen i i think he's he is really proven to be someone who who gets out and listens i mean he came to our pac-12 meetings in may made it real clear of, of, of some of his early um insights into things and again this is a guy that not only was he governor but he ran a huge health system and so he's seen a lot and he yep. saw the differences of the high resource schools and and you know he hinted at the time that whatever came came out whatever it looked like whenever he was going to roll it out was going to just try to be more recognized in the fact that there are some that just can operate differently and so 
you know, the timing of it, when it hit, sure, that was surprising. You know, we were actually ironically together in Big 12 meetings in Las Vegas that morning when it when it actually hit the wire. So we were all together and we got a chance to kind of look at it. And I know the commissioners got together. But I think since then, you know, he came to he showed up at a Big 12 meeting the other day on Zoom and, you know, he walked through, reminded all of us that that this is a you know, poke holes at it. Let's talk about this, you know, trying to 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 look at different systems. I know there's some a little frustrated how it came out, but I'm I'm one to say, let's look beyond that. Let's look at what we're trying to accomplish here. Does this help us get to where we want to do to to help student athletes you know, in some way? Does this help avoid, avoid employment? Um, is that good? Is that bad? You know, let's have all those those conversations. And so I appreciate uh, the fact that he's leading the way. And sometimes when you lead the way, you, you know, you take some hits, but it's certainly been something that we've all been talking about and try to work through. He is not wedded to one idea. He's made that clear to us. But but, you know, we've got to move this in this direction without question. In, in college athletics, we've seen people who have connections, deep connections with campuses like yourself, who you know worked on campuses, came up on campuses. Greg Sankey in the SEC, a good example of that. And But in recent years, we've seen this shift with conference commissioners being media and marketing experts. And now the, you know, the president of the NCAA is uh, a successful politician. Um, what connection to the schools do you think we need to keep as college athletics moves forward? I guess I'm worried about the, the tether between what's actually going on on campuses and, and the direction of college athletics. Well, I, I, I sure hope there's always going to be a authentic tether uh, to to campuses. You know, again, as I said when we started, you know, you know, you guys have been on a lot of campuses when you come and, and cover games and those kind of stuff. And you know, we're here all week. I mean, we watch these kids in their backpacks going to class and, and doing their stuff. And you know, I, I, my office is in the academic building here on campus at, 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 in our department, and I see it every day. And and that's that's the good stuff, and that's the stuff that has been awesome, um, you know, in this country for, for years and years and years, but we have to grow and we have to figure out a way of compensation. And I do hope that, that it does tether to that. As far as leaders in this, in this space that come in, you know, listen, I think you can find good leaders in a lot of different areas. I've never wanted to say, oh, it must be a practitioner to do this or a practitioner to do that. You just want really good people who can listen uh, and, and, and learn and understand the vibe of, of campuses and, and all of those kind of things. And I, and I think that, you know, if we get the right leadership, as we've seen, I think Charlie has proven to, to do that. I've, I've really enjoyed working with Brett. I think Commissioner Yormark has a lot of really creative ideas that really apply in our space. And we need innovation too. What I've appreciated with him is, you know, he also listens, um, you know, really well in the things that are important to us in the campuses. So I'm not, I don't think there's any one profile, to be honest with you. I think that um, you just need good people who can come in and, and learn and grow. If it happens to be someone that's been in the business for a while, then that's awesome, too. You know, I, I think it's just it's got to be somebody who cares about students and, and how we can fix this stuff going forward. Mark, how do you think the 12-team playoff is going to change the regular season? Well, it's so interesting because, you know, as we're, we're looking at scheduling, like, for example, we're kind of unique in this transition because BYU is on our schedule, you know, for a decade out. And all of a sudden now we've got we've got a game to fill every year. And I think that's a little different. I don't think a lot of folks are dealing with that. And so we've been having conversations about what that what that should look like. And so 
you know, the the CFP data from this last year, obviously I had I had eyes on a lot of it being in the room, but but now that it's all over and Sports Source who handles a lot of the, the data, you know, which now can get out to all the ADs and coaches, you know, you gotta really look at this stuff, you know, strength of schedule. What does that what does that mean? Um, going going forward. You know, I, I honestly believe that if you're ten and two, uh, you're you're in the game. Uh, you can get in the 12. That's just my calculation right now. It doesn't mean every year. Uh, if you're, that's, of course, if you're a non-conference champion. I think you can, you can get in there in the Big 12 if you're at that. Um, now, if, if one of those losses is in the conference championship game, I think you're really in there. If you lose the third one in the conference championship, you know, that, could be, that could be problematic. So what does this all mean? You've got to stack your wins, and so you've got to be careful uh, how you do that as an FCS opponent, you know, you're always wondering if that's the right thing to do. So you really got to really look at this stuff. And all you can do is look at past CFP and who would have been in and who wouldn't have been in. Cause you really got to be what in the top 13, right? Cause the G5 is going to take one of those spots. And so you can't be 12 in the CFP pool and make it. So where I'm going on all this, you just got to be really thoughtful about your scheduling. You know, we, we've got our four year run now of who we're going to play in the Big 12. We can look at that and historic outcomes of those teams and just try to match it with the best possible um, schedule. You know, it's probably going to become more basketball-like, and that's why I think having those 10 is an advantage for us so we can schedule them maybe a little bit closer to know what we're dealing with. So you just got to be really, really thoughtful going forward. You do not want to schedule yourself out of the playoff. Do you think that the the difference in – conference schedules with the SEC and ACC being at eight, Big 12, Big 10 at nine, will be more significant in a 12-team format or less significant than it has been? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, it's 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 always been just such a bummer that, uh, and people use yeah. other words, but such a bummer that, that we're all in these different, you know, eight and nine, and, and it's it's silly. It's just one of those things that we all look at and say, what are we doing? Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, I've always had a nine. I'm so used to it. It's hard for me to say uh, on an eight, but yeah, you, you know, bottom line, it gives you more flexibility, right? It gives you, it gives you more flexibility because you've, you, you can schedule what you, you, what you want in there. Um, and, you know, but listen, the ACC also has a game and, and, you know, the SEC does too. And it's not like it's been golden for the ACC. They've had Clemson, right? So there's, it, that's kind of carried a lot of stuff for them. And, 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 you know, so I, I don't know, it, it's interesting. I just think it gives you more flexibility on the eight, but as a fan of college football, I'd love to see us all at nine and uh, go from there. I know you're limited in what you can talk about with the CFP selection committee stuff, but you know, we visited with Rob Mullins uh, about this. And one of the questions we asked him, and I think I'd pose it to you is, you know, what doesn't the public know or what one thing, would committee members want the public to know in general about the selection process? Well, it was a great process. You know, I was honored to serve. Commissioner Klyovkov called me, I think, in August. And, you know, with Jen taking the new job at, at USC, um, you know, and having to step away, I was honored that he called and was very appreciative and, and grateful. And that began a process of really diving in. And, you know, I would say, you know, I listened to, to Rob on the, on, the, on the podcast, and I thought he was spot on a lot of things. But how much work we all do um, outside of the committee room. You know, you're assigned to a couple conferences and, you know, you got to know those conferences like the back of your hand, not unlike the other sports committees that are out there. But 
when we all gather every Monday and Tuesday for those final six or seven weeks of the season, you know, you, you, you've got to go in there watching the games. You got to see them. You got to look at all the data. There's not one thing that's, you know, it's everything collectively and the way everyone does their homework and how serious everyone takes it and the robust conversations uh, that are, that are really high level of knowledge about these teams was just a, an incredible thing to, you know, to be a part of. So it was a, it was a great experience and uh, one I'll, uh, you know, I'll always look back on, you know, we got to do one year with, with the PAC 12, you know, disbanding after this year. So, so that will be it for me unless I get on there and down the line in my career, but it was a, uh, it was a fantastic year. Mark, is there anything you can tell us? And I know you're, you're very limited, but is there anything you can tell us about your anguish level over the Florida state situation? Well, um, I will say that 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 obviously the passion of college football, you know, is always at an all time high. And, you know, that, that certainly the outcome of that, uh, I think anybody on the committee was, was certainly notified in various different ways <laughs> of, of outreach uh, about that. But you know what? It's college football is, is, like I said, it's built on passion. You know, getting back to your early question about, you know, making sure that we tether this in, in such a great way to to universities going forward, the alums and and all of that. And, and I will just say, like, it, it, it was obviously, um, you know, it was a tough, tough thing the committee went through because there were so many good teams this year uh, going into that last weekend. I remember flying out there saying, wow, this is going to be quite a quite a weekend with with so many qualified teams, more than I can ever remember. And so obviously uh, there was going to be some upset fan bases no matter what. But uh, all I can say is everyone worked really, really hard uh, to make the best decision possible. The the pressure, the exterior pressure, how did you go about trying to block that out? Or is it even possible with social media to ignore what's being said uh, or think for yourself kind of thing? Yeah, just get back to work. You know, with so much stuff going on at Utah, just come back to campus and, and get to work and be surrounded by, you know, this incredible group here of coaches and, and staff. And we've got a great family. And and uh, we just uh, get, get back to the day-to-day business. Of, we had to close out our season and and uh, move into basketball, so just keep moving forward. Mark, I thought about you on the afternoon of January 10th when uh, that thunderous news came from Tuscaloosa because you, in some ways, are, are dealing with a little bit of a Saban situation, right? Because you've got a coach who is a legend at your school and has taken Utah football to all these, you know, these unprecedented heights, back-to-back Rose Bowls, great position for the big 12 and yet you know he is certainly closer to retirement i would think than he is to uh you know the 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 peak of his coaching career at least in in terms of you know years how often are you thinking about when kyle whittingham might step down how often are you thinking about your approach once that happens is it something that's on your mind on a regular basis well, first of all, you know, there's so many blessings uh, here at the University of Utah, and it, it's hard to argue that, that you know, Coach isn't one of the, the very tops in those blessings. You know, he's so awesome to work with. You know, I was so excited when I got here. We just finished our sixth season together, which is just crazy how fast things have gone. But when I first got here, I was so excited to work with him, and it's been everything I hoped and thought it would be. And by the way, you know, his leadership – and, and the stability uh, that he's provided has also allowed for so many staffers to be here for so many years, right? And so it's not just wit. You go down to the football building and you're just around these, these folks that have been working together and solving problems and, 
and thinking strategically uh, for, together for so long. And I mean, I'm not to say a coach here or there has left along the way. Certainly that's happened, but by and by the, the larger group. And, you know, so when you're in this chaos environment of, of you know, transfer here, transfer there, these, 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 the staff has, has kind of seen it all together and know, knows how to, to make it happen. So it's, again, it gets to a blessing. You can deal with folks like that. I get the question, well, how does what handling all this? I'm like, he's handling it great. I mean, he understands. I mean, he's, he and I talked about this stuff years ago. He saw this stuff coming, you know, and, and so we've been kind of planning for it. And, and I'm so proud of the fact that if you look at our transfers, we've had some unbelievable transfers come in, not only in football, but across the way. So I'd like to think it's a net positive for Utah uh, the roster transitions because we've been able to get so many, so many, some of them very high profile, including Cam, you know, that have come in during kind of this transfer era. It doesn't make it easy. doesn't mean we haven't lost some students that were, were disappointed, you know, cause we love them and we wanted them to stay, but working with someone that, that has seen it all done it all gone through conference transition, you know, all of that stuff worked with a lot of the, the folks in town that help us so much and very different initiatives. So it's been really good. Overall, he and I communicate, you know, um, every time I see him, he looks younger. I mean, they just got off the road again. And I don't know, he was probably, all, you know, you know, built up another million miles or whatever it is. And he just looks great. And he's having fun. He's surrounded by great people. He's really energized about this transition. So we stay close. You know, I'll know what, when, when, when he knows. And we'll be ready for whatever comes. And... Um, but right now, you know, we all got a lot of juice as we head into this new conference, and uh, he's fired up and ready to go. I watched Alabama have to pivot, you know, 72 hours, Greg Byrne told his football players. Give me 72 hours to make this hire. Washington had to move quickly. Arizona had to move quickly. Transfer portal in the background of all of this. How difficult does that make the job of an AD who has to make that kind of hire on the fly you know, how prepared do you have to be? Do you keep a short list kind of running, you know, in the event of an emergency? Or how do you handle that? Well, you know, listen, th there's so much that goes into a search. And, you know, I, I understand the, the importance of, of keeping your roster intact for what's coming up in those next, you know, the, the next season when it rolls out. I, you know, we had a change here in men's basketball. Of course, this was before a lot of the transfer rules, but transfers in basketball have always kind of been on the uptick. And I remember feeling that anxiety of of trying to have someone here, you know, quickly after Coach Kristovac moved on. You know, I, I would say this. You have to find the balance. If you go too quick, then, then you know, you're, you, may, you may have saved some kids on the roster. Um, but if you don't know enough about the person that you're hiring, you also have to deal with that. So you have to strike the balance. Now, that being said, John, to your point, you know, you, you got to go a little bit deeper on people um, in a lot of the sports here. And you do it the right way. You don't, you don't sit and phone, but you, you call people because that's inappropriate. But you really just study people. I mean, I'm a wonk on watching a lot of videos and press conferences and, and, and watching games. And so you have a good idea of, of where you're, you're, you're going to go. But I also think what we're seeing is even if you hire fast, you know, it doesn't mean the students are going to stay either. Right. So you just have to strike that balance. Uh, and certainly I give a lot of credit to my colleagues um, that seemingly have made some really, really good hires in a fast way. So I don't want to dismiss it. I think that's really, really important to do. But you got to make sure you, you have a really, you know, you got to know these people and you got to really been studying them or maybe you interviewed them before or whatever it might be. 
Um, I think that's really, really important, but um, yeah, it's, it's something else to, to see where this thing's uh, has gone. But as I look at how everything's settled, I think, uh, I think some of the ones that we're looking for coaches got some really good ones. Mark, uh, you know, every episode where we have a guest, we ask, uh, you know, about advice that the uh, guest received. What's, what comes to mind when I say, what's the best advice that, that you got? Well, I think for me, you know, I always go back to, you know, um, well, I have, I have two mentors, John. I might even say this to you on your show at one point when we first met a few years ago, but really two mentors that come to mind. One is Dan Guerrero at, at UCLA, and I just, you know, um, I was there during a real turbulent time at, at, at UCLA for a lot of different reasons, and, you know, I just... Dan's, Dan's uh, uh, you know, the way he approached crisis and the calmness so he could be strategic. And he used to always remind, you know, this too shall pass. That didn't mean you just stand back and let it go. It meant you got to do a lot of work. But just remember when it's really, really dark, um, you know, there will be sun and you just got to make really good decisions. And then, you know, Dick Tomey, um, you know, associated with him for almost my entire life. I mean, they were neighbors. They were neighbors. You know, when I was six years old, when, when he was the defensive coordinator at, at UCLA and his son and I are best friends. And so just and then working with Dick and, and all those years, it's just he just taught me the importance of 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 love in a different way. You know, love and the fact that you're the folks that you're around, you, you just you just tell them that you love them. And I, I just the staff here, they work so hard uh, for our students. And, you know, you just got to make sure that you let everyone know that you care. And, and I think in athletics, maybe that took a little bit longer to get into, um, you know, into the lexicon of that kind of thinking. But I think it's really important. Uh, you know, we're going through turbulent times. People are working really, really hard. And, um, you know, you just got to tell people you love them and how much you appreciate them. And I think those things are really, really important and, and are foundational in my thinking. Mark, we certainly want to be respectful of your time. Uh, we could do a whole other show on, on things I did not ask you about, like, <laughs> Compar comparisons between Whittingham and Tomey, because they strike me as being somewhat alike. Your thoughts on the SEC Big Ten partnership, uh, your experience on Football Oversight Committee. I mean, there's so much. Uh, so maybe we get you back before the season for part two. But uh, can't thank you enough for, for taking some time out to join us here. Well, I, I thanks, John. Always good to um, – John Wilner and I go back a long way. when We were both pups in Tucson. It's always good to talk to you and, and John Canzano. Keep it up. Just love the independence that you're doing, covering the stuff you want to cover. Thank you. Keep, tell, keep telling the stories. Hold us all accountable now, right? That's important, too. Uh, but keep doing what you guys are doing. I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you. Thanks so much, Mark. Right, guys. Thanks. Really good stuff, Wilner. Uh, thought he was candid. It's interesting. Utah is such an interesting study, given the success that they have had transitioning you know, fr frankly, into the Pac-12 and now into the Big 12. I, I think they're the best equipped of all the schools, the Pac-12 schools that are moving to new places. Utah's the one where if I'm a fan of their programs, I'm the least concerned. I think there's huge upside, and, and I think uh, they've got good stability. Well, they certainly know what conference transition is about. I just think Utah's entire their whole like athletic ethos is so it's so they're always been efficient you know they spend their money properly uh they don't get into huge debt they know who they are with their sports and they know the recruits and the prospects that will work for them uh everything is just so efficient and 
tightly run with them. And it, not only with Harlan, but, you know, Chris Hill, his, his predecessor, same thing. And that puts them in position to be able to succeed in different in conferences, different sports, different environments. It's, it's just so much of their DNA is, you know, hey, this is how you should run a department. And, and uh, it's been like that for a long time there. Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly I thought I loved your question about Kyle Whittingham, Saban. I think the hiring process of an athletic director now has been compressed to the point where you better have a short list in your file cabinet and be ready to move on it or you risk really getting fleeced in the portal. And I think we've seen that, you know, with uh, the, the three hires that we were closely watching with Alabama and Washington and Arizona, certainly. Uh, if you've got an opening, you uh, you better have it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think his comment about knowing those people ahead of time, I think, is, is golden. Oh, it is. And, you know, when Greg Byrne took the Alabama job, the number one item on his to-do list was to be ready for the day Nick Saban retired. And in some ways, that similar thing with, with Harlan is, you know, when he became AD, you know, late, late in the last decade, what was it, 2016, 2018? At some point, Kyle Whittingham was going to be retiring, right? And that your football coach, that is the most important hire you make. And, you know, he has probably spent a lot of time thinking about it over the years. And uh, you have to think he will be ready when it happens. Now, who knows? Knowing Whittingham, he could see the end of this contract, which is like 2028 or something. <laughs> but uh, it's certainly it, – that is still – uh, the number one item for an athletic director these days. I love having guests on this podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription or a paid subscription. Read John Wilner at pac12hotline.com. And make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you know, reach out, hit that button, that subscribe button. That way it gets delivered in real time to your mobile device. Um, and it's free. Why wouldn't you? John Wilner. You stay warm, my friend. No power. I hope you get it soon. I hope you have it back soon. I know that's not fun. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone.